Welcome to the Pharmacotherapy Podcast. My name is Lindsay Devon. I am Professor Emeritus of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston. I also serve as Editor-in-Chief of Pharmacotherapy, an official journal of the American College of Clinical Pharmacy. We are fortunate to have with us today Drs. Joelle Nelson and Maya Kampara, who led a multidisciplinary panel of American transplant clinicians in reviewing the published literature with the goal to formulate consensus recommendations for the use of maintenance immunosuppression in specific organ groups. Dr. Joel Nelson is a clinical pharmacy specialist in solid organ transplant at University Health University Transplant Institute in San Antonio, Texas. Dr. Maya Kampara is a clinical associate professor at the University of Illinois Chicago College of Pharmacy and Medicine and coordinator of the Solid Organ Transplant Clinical Pharmacy Services at the University of Illinois Hospital. Maya and Joelle, we've enjoyed partnering with you over the last year and a half as you develop the consensus recommendations for immunosuppression and solid organ transplant, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for your support and for taking time to highlight this important work with us this morning. Yeah, thank you, Lindsay. I'm really excited to be here discussing such an important topic. Uh, it's been a pleasure to see how the process unfolded and uh, now that there is a product that will help the field. So uh, to begin with, I have two related questions to uh, start our discussion. First really is the need. I mean, what really convinced you to decide that recommendations were needed to guide pharmacotherapy in this area? I, I would assume given the relatively long history of solid organ transplantation, that immunosuppression would be standardized by this time. I like that you use that term standardized. I think that's a very interesting word in solid organ transplantation. Um, would it shock you and probably a lot of your audience to hear that when Joelle and I started this journey in 2020, no maintenance immunosuppressive agents were FDA approved for use in lung, pancreas, or intestinal transplantation. But then every year, we had about 3,500 people that received these transplants. On the other hand, among the more frequently transplanted organs, many of the medications that are regularly used as standard of care have limited or restrictive indications. So at the time when we started the, this process, only 40% of the medications were used on label. And I'm guessing that if it's not standardized, then uh, there's a real balance between providing immunosuppression so that the organ stays intact versus uh, adverse events. And so I think as we go through this discussion, our, our listeners will begin to appreciate more what a, a real task that you have uh, completed here. Uh, so speaking of that, then, then secondly, you headed a group of expert clinicians and researchers to develop these recommendations for immunosuppression. Uh, how did you go about uh, choosing who would be appropriate volunteers for this group, given the diversity of organs and specialization I assume uh, exists among clinicians and researchers? Yeah, so there was originally a core group of us who really identified with this idea and, and this concept of creating consensus recommendations as part of a larger public policy work group. 
that uh, Maya and I were both heavily involved in at the time. And really, we had a core group of individual pharmacists who really committed to this work product. But we still wanted to make sure that there was robust representation in all organ groups, especially some of the previously underrepresented organ groups that Maya mentioned, where maybe a lot of these drugs are being used off-label. Uh, so we ended up reaching out to the leaders in the larger communities of transplant practice, really for suggestions of well-published, well-respected individuals who would be good authors um, for this type of work project. Uh, so we further vetted that list, and as we found individuals we thought would be a good fit based off of you know, those specific criteria in terms of publication, national involvement, uh, areas of expertise, we really contacted them directly to gauge overall interest. And we did that until we felt we had a robust enough author group that existed. And then after that, of course, we had to submit that author group as part of our larger proposal for these consensus recommendations to uh, uh, ACCP. And just to add to that, our panel included transplant physicians and pharmacists. And we tried to have a representative group that included abdominal surgeon hepatologists, gastroenterologists, cardiologists, and pulmonologists. So virtually every area of transplant was represented in authorship line. From your title of the, of the article of the uh, special publication, it appears that you have about uh, 12 authors or, or so or contributors to, to this work. I think it would be naive for the, for the listeners to think that you just get together and uh, make these recommendations based on your experience. So would you describe for the listeners um, how your group worked to develop these uh, ultimate recommendations for immunosuppression? You know, this is uh, further described in detail in the methodology of the paper, but this really was a work in process for, you know, multiple years from original proposal by this group of authors. Um, once we identified our final author group, we actually split the authors into organ-specific work groups, really, you know, based off of their areas of practice as well as their individual expertise. Uh, as a larger group, we uh, developed key clinical questions that we wanted to answer for common maintenance immunosuppressive drug classes that we really felt like these recommendations should address. Um, and once we as an uh, author work group finalized those key clinical questions as a whole, we also gave each organ-specific work group and really each author um, specific and objective um, parameters, not only for outcomes, you know, so for example, if we're trying to look at the literature in terms of efficacy, maybe the outcome was 12-month graft rejection and survival, but we also gave people parameters for study design, you know, so maybe we tried to take studies published more past the 1990s when available and earlier or later, so newer so it really best represented modern-day maintenance immunosuppression. But we did this really to try and find some continuity between the organ groups. And that really was important, but it was also incredibly challenging um, when developing these recommendations because there does exist a lot of variation in the literature because there exists a lot of variation in the clinical care of solid organ transplant recipients from one center to a, another. So that can really lead to significant heterogeneity within the literature. But that's really what we did up front to try and mitigate some of that. After that, you know, each specific organ group work group went through and did robust literature searches, evaluations, and subsequent 
um, review uh, of the literature to kind of formulate their uh, organ-specific uh, recommendation to those identified key clinical questions. Not only that, but then we use the grade criteria to come up with an associated grade of evidence based on the available quality of literature and what it said. Over the next period of months, really, we met, unfortunately, we met remotely, but we met nonetheless uh, in the world of COVID over uh, multiple teleconferences to review each organ work group's specific consensus recommendations. Uh, as well as their grade of the literature. And then if we found discrepancies within those organ-specific workgroup recommendation, the larger author group as a whole discussed that said recommendation until a consensus could be reached. So it was a very long, arduous process, but it was definitely a labor of love. Well, your task was certainly not a minor one at all. Uh, and you've produced a very comprehensive document, I think will be of value to the, to the field. My history in pharmacotherapy goes back to the early days when cyclosporin was just um, approved and was a, you know, heralded as a miracle drug. I'm just wondering if you'd give a couple of examples, maybe, of some of the major areas in post-transplant pharmacotherapy that are covered in your consensus report. Um, I suppose now that Cyclosporin does still still have use, but it may be superseded by um, other drugs. And I'm guessing that your group uh, made decisions and recommendations on what's preferred in specific organ groups. I, I think it's uh, very exciting, actually, that to learn that you know uh, a lot about transplant, Lindsay. I had no idea. But as as Joelle mentioned, our focus was on a modern era of maintenance immunosuppression that really started in the mid-1990s. And um, during this time, as you know, cyclosporin was the base standard choice for maintenance immunosuppression. And however, but quickly it was superseded by tacrolimus. So what we would typically consider standard of care for the modern era of maintenance immunosuppression includes a triple regimen of tacrolimus, mycophenolate, and prednisone. So I think as part of our clinical questions, we try to examine literature that surrounds all the challenges to that standard of care today. And so some questions that we addressed include the addition of the extended release formulations of tacrolimus and the impact that they've had in various organs. Uh, both abdominal and thoracic transplants. Uh, another question we address is, it, is removal of corticosteroids from maintenance immunosuppression armamentorium uh, a, a re- feasible reality? Some other things we consider was addition of co-stimulation in, uh, inhibitor and its effect on rejection, um, long-term allograft function, as well as donor-specific antibody formation, which is a very hot topic in transplantation right now. And then some other things that we um, are, are maybe less uh, commonly used is use of interleukin-2 receptor antagonists that is uh, traditionally viewed as an induction agent for maintenance immunosuppression. And then, of course, an entire quagmire of mTOR inhibitors and their use as alternatives to both calcium urine inhibitors and antimetabolites in transplantation. I'm wondering about your, your view in, in the future Given the comprehensive document you produced and the amount of literature that's out there, it doesn't seem that this is something that can be 
uh, updated uh, every year or so. So given your knowledge about how rapidly the fields of immunology, genetics, and surgical transplantation advances uh, occur, uh, are, will the field need refinements, do you think, in just a brief period of time, or will these recommendations be durable for some years? Yeah, I'm really interested to hear Maya's thoughts on this as well. But <laughs> I, I think a, a major limit we currently have in our area of practice right now is simply the understanding of the immune system. And my opinion is that that understanding is growing at a rapid pace. I can remember what my lectures and, and teachings were when I was uh, a student and a resident on the immune system and just how much in the last decade we've learned about the immune system. And so, you know, as that depth of understanding increases, we see new drugs are being developed and we'll see them come to market for patient-specific considerations. There was such a lull for a a while in new drug development and bringing to market um, until really, uh, you know, more recently, the co-stimulation inhibitor Bilaticeps um, introduction onto the market is the most recent immunosuppressant that we have. So really, I think my future prediction is just a further individualization of maintenance immunotherapy for our patients as hopefully and optimistically I wish new drugs will be coming to market. I just hope that our patients will be able to have timely and fair access to those life-sustaining medications that we know that they need. Uh, So that would be my my best guess. I 100% agree with Joelle. I think if you look at our pipeline, I think it's not a robust pipeline. So I think, again, I want to take us back to that term standardization because I see the future of maintenance immunosuppression right now getting away from that concept and moving, as Joel mentioned, into the realm of precision med- medicine using genetic science, proteomics, pharmacogenomics to tailor the available maintenance immunosuppressants specifically to patients' characteristics. However, I also am a realist and see that this approach is not quite ready for prime time yet. So in the meantime, when you look at clinical research in transplant, there are two exciting developments in the field right now, and that is non-invasive projection monitoring and screening, as well as xenotransplantation. I mean, this is where the clinical research is today. However, we have to realize that maintenance immunosuppression, both selection and tolerability, right, remains at the core of these research efforts, okay? In other words, we're not going to be getting rid of maintenance immunosuppression anytime soon. So I think the conclusion of our consensus guidelines describe some of our hopes and aspirations when it comes to what will be going on with maintenance immunosuppressants, and, and these include really making a centralized, multi-center research collaboratives a reality in, in transplant, creating registry studies that will allow us to adequately power outcomes that are needed to validate some of these new techniques um, and, and clinical research efforts, um, because our patient numbers are now going to change. They're going to remain small, especially in certain organ groups, like the ones we mentioned, intestinal, pancreas, transplant. The, the second thing that I think would be very important is really to petition FDA to recognize the need for research of novel therapeutic maintenance immunosuppressants in this um, transplant field under the umbrella of rare or ultra-rare diseases, which will allow us to potentially use accelerated drug approval. And then finally, petitioning FDA to expand the indication for drugs that are already in use, currently off-label, 
by utilizing previously published data. And I think those are the three things that that I see would be, you know, very important in terms of maintenance and, you know, suppression direction for future research. And they're included and represented as part of this consensus briefly in our conclusion. Some of the advances that you are predicting are, are very exciting uh, in the field, but I, I also hear you saying that there's a lot more uh, refinement that can be that can occur uh, with the drugs and the therapies and the policies regarding pharmacotherapy and transplantation in general as we stand now. I don't want the the listeners and readership to think that these are recommendations that are only just created by a group of 12 uh, experts, but there's a larger endorsement uh, than that, uh, which includes a lot of people who have and will um, see these recommendations and probably comment. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind mentioning the professional organizations that supported and endorsed um, your recommendations and just comment on uh, how important this is for the field in general to have a buy-in by different transplant and clinician organizations. Our paper has been endorsed by three major organizations, the American College of Clinical Pharmacy, the American Society of Transplantation, and the International Society for Heart and Lung Transplantation. I think for most of our audience, ACCP needs no introduction. It is the home organization for all clinical pharmacists in the United States. Similarly, the American Society of Transplantation is the hub of all transplant community in our country. It is the interdisciplinary organization that is dedicated to advancing the field of transplant and improving patient care by promoting research, education, but very importantly, advocacy and service to the community. Over the years, the American Society of Transplantation has been instrumental in assisting federal and state public policy decision makers in the crafting and formulation of a variety of legislative and regulatory initiatives, and pharmacists play a huge role in this effort within the organization. And so um, this includes relentless advocacy for medication access that our patients and clinicians are challenged with on a daily basis um, that we already described earlier based on this lack of FDA approval for immunosuppressants use in, in transplant. Finally, the last organization is the International Society of Heart and Lung Transplantation, which is another um, you know, a behemoth when it comes to transplant, thoracic transplant. It is a professional organization that's committed to research and education in uh, cardiothoracic transplantation. Yeah, and if I can just add, I, I, I think that one thing that's really unique with this consensus recommendation is that we not only got one of these amazing organizations, not only two, but three of these amazing organizations to review and endorse these recommendations. And I, you know, a lot of these organizations have their own endorsed recommendations and guidelines on various topics, but it is quite unique to get all three together for subsequent review and endorsement. I think it truly speaks to a few things. And I, the first is, uh, you know, anybody who's in this field of transplantation can recognize and associate with the plight of transplant providers who on the day-to-day -day are trying to go through the difficult and sometimes, uh, you know, unfortunate process of obtaining access to these life-sustaining medications for their patients and dealing with that disconnect between what the transplant community views as the best 
you know, evidence-based medicine and what that patient's insurer is going to allow through multiple logistical hurdles. So I think that really speaks to the recognition of these larger societies about the importance of this topic um, and the multidisciplinary nature that solid organ transplantation is in of itself. I think it also speaks to the um, to the quality and, and rigor and uh, potential impact of the documents that uh, you have created. And I did want to mention that there's actually two documents. There's the full comprehensive uh, recommendations with uh, background for each of the areas. And there's also an executive summary. The um, creation of this was uh, certainly credit should go to you, but I did want to make a slight promotion for uh, ACCP in that um, the organization through Pharmacotherapy Publications Incorporated, which is the uh, publishing arm of ACCP, is promoting uh, development of maintenance recommendations in various areas. And so uh, any listeners out there, uh, there's a call for uh, submissions and proposals about once every uh, year or so. And I was just wondering if uh, either of you would comment on the experience of having to submit a proposal, have it evaluated by peers, and then uh, work with staff over, as we mentioned at the outset, a year and a half to uh, develop this project. I, I honestly, uh, initially, I found the experience to be quite overwhelming. <laughs> um, I definitely connected and agreed with Maya's idea that these consensus recommendations were something our field of practice really desperately needed. But as a clinical pharmacist who maybe hadn't been involved with the development of consensus recommendations in the past, you know, this really seemed like an onerous task at the starting line. But I, I really want to say that the level of support we receive from pharmacotherapy publications, as well as, you know, I, I have to mention Carrie Sims and all of her assistants. With any questions we had, bumps in the road we encountered, it really made for the development of such an important work product to really be feasible. So I really want to encourage any listeners who uh, maybe identify with what our transplant community's plight has been. Um, I really encourage you to try and pursue the development of your own consensus recommendations in the same manner that we have. I just yeah. have to comment on this because I was actually surprised to hear Joelle say that because my perspective was completely flipped, I would say. I would say when we first started on this journey, we had, I had, okay, I had this boundless energy that was just fueled by this simple conviction that this work needs to be published, made, done, completed, not just for our, for our clinicians, but also for our patients and the entire transplant community. So I think as the time progressed, we encountered challenges that at times seemed insurmountable to me, things that like Joelle mentioned, we are not familiar with generating large consensus document. So learning those rules, especially seeking endorsement from these large organizations and making sure that we met all stipulations that would permit this particular organization to assign their name to the work was very, very daunting. So we dealt with unexpected um, author conflicts and authorship conflicts and requirements for a particular sequence when it came to their review. All of these were unexpected issues that arose and really pharmacotherapy publication Inc. and your team 
was invaluable in guiding us through this process. And I just want to take a second to thank you guys for being there for us and making this possible. Well, you're the people who made it possible. And uh, I hope that there's an intrinsic reward in knowing that the recommendations when they're actually applied to patients can improve the quality of life uh, and perhaps prevent rejection for a lot of patients. So congratulations and thank you again, Drs. Nelson and Kumpara for your uh, efforts in providing these documents and a significant contribution to the field of pharmacotherapy.